0: I've already mentioned it with the announcement time, but it it bears repeating. Next week, we go to two services. So this is the last week of one service. So next week, service is 9 and 10.45 a.m. What time? 9 and 10.45. 9 and 10.45. Nice. Nice in the middle. (laughs) Yeah, so make sure to be here for those services. Uh, We're looking forward to going to those two services so that we can continue to create room for others to join us on a Sunday morning. And we have mentioned a couple things connected to that that you can be a part of what's happening on a Sunday morning, that you can devote yourself to two things, spiritual growth and service to others. So we want to encourage you to attend one and serve one, that you can be in the 9 o'clock service and say for the second service, I'm just going to go and hold babies in the, in the infant room. And you could also say I'm going to be here first service, greet people at the D door, and, and I'm just going to come and be a part of the second service. So we encourage you, you have an invitation to participate in the ministry of the church on a Sunday morning. And, of course, you get to grow spiritually, but you also get to serve our local community that way. Second thing is, is we've got these two drives, and now we really need to start using them well. That in the welcome signs, we want to encourage you to come in through that way, and especially if you're transitioning between services, that after the the services, if we can have you exit out where those exit flags are at, that helps us a lot as people are coming in for the next service. It helps us with flow of traffic. So if you can help us with that, it'd be appreciated. Um, How many had a great Thanksgiving? People had a good Thanksgiving? We did. Uh, My parents came into town for Thanksgiving, so glad to have them here for the weekend. Uh, They brought one of my nephews with us, so Nate's had a great time with him. We had some students, international students from Purdue, two from uh, Taiwan, one from Iran. And so it's fun to ask them what they knew about Thanksgiving and kind of quiz them on that a little bit. They actually knew a fair amount about Thanksgiving. One had been studying in Canada before, and apparently, I didn't know Canadians had Thanksgiving, but they do it in October, to celebrate harvest, which is, I think, a great thing to be thankful for. Um, so that's what they do. So it's fun to find out what they know about Thanksgiving. But I don't know about you, but if I were to put a ranking order on things to know, you know, we live in a college town. How many are aware of that? How many knew Purdue won yesterday? Sorry, IU. Not really, but... But we live in a college town, a town of knowledge. And so... When we look at important things to know, if I were to put a ranking order, I'd say knowledge of who Jesus is would probably be at the top of the list. Now, some of you may actually disagree with that this morning. My hope is by the time we finish the message today, you're starting to understand why we need to know who Jesus is. Really, really valuable. More important than learning how to drive a car, teenagers. More important than uh, understanding how to farm. More important than knowing how to do crazy math problems is to know who Jesus is. And so that's what we want to look at this morning, understanding who Jesus is. And so the question I'd like to answer today is, how can we know Jesus? How can we know Jesus? I think it's a question worth answering. And then at the the end of the message, I want to look at not just how, but why. Why do we need to know him? I think that's important too. So we're going to look at those two things. So if you have your Bibles today, I hope you do have a Bible. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, they're in the seat underneath in front of you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible at home, you can take it as a gift from the church, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 as we continue our series in Luke today. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word, simply out of reverence for the fact that God gave his word to us, and so we would just appreciate the fact that, that we have this instruction book on life, and so we want to look at that. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. And here's what Luke writes. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. As we continue our study on the book of Luke, Jesus in action, we now come back to John the baptizer. If you were with us early on in Luke, so at the end of last year, beginning of this year, you've already heard a little bit about who this John the Baptist or John the Baptizer is. His family really is a rather extraordinary story. His dad's name is Zachariah, and his mother is Elizabeth. If you guys uh, know our, our pastors at all in the church, it's funny that we actually have a pastor, Zach and Liz. It's like this is their favorite passage, by the way. It talks about Zach and Liz. <laughs> but Elizabeth, she's this devout woman who really did love the Lord. And this simple, humble, hard-working, rural couple devoted to God, they loved one another and they really wanted a child. They wanted to extend, uh, extend their love to the next generation and do that by raising a child. So their prayer for many years was, God, please entrust us with a child. We'd love to get pregnant and have a baby. And they kept loving God. They never stopped. They kept loving one another. And they kept praying this prayer asking God for a child. Now it does say Luke, he makes a statement that this couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, that they were advanced in years. Uh, Luke is politically correct 2,000 years ago before there was political correctness. Advanced in years, I love that terminology. What we know is they were perhaps 50, 60 years old or more. We, we don't really know. But what we do know is that God answers their prayer. By a miracle of God's grace, Elizabeth was able to become pregnant and with a son whose name was to be John. And at roughly the same time, perhaps even a few weeks or months later, a relative of Elizabeth, Mary, this young virgin woman, she becomes pregnant, conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus. And so Jesus and John the baptizer are cousins. Pretty cool to have the son of God as your cousin, right? That's a pretty amazing thing. And it's interesting to think they probably did get some time together. They probably grew up and had uh, opportunity to play with one another. And John, he starts his public ministry first. He's a little bit older. And he, has a, he was a mighty preacher when you look at him in the New Testament. After 400 years of silence from the Old Testament to the New Testament, so there was this period where God seemed to be silent. But now John shows up on the scene, and he's this mighty preacher. Now, he is a bit eccentric. He wears camel's hair clothing. That had to be itchy, right? That could not have been comfortable. He's, his diet is bugs and date honey. And he's like yelling at people all the time. That's John the baptizer. That's Jesus's cousin. And now what we know of John the baptizer is he does later baptize Jesus. We talked about that earlier this spring. Now John later does get arrested by Herod Antipas, one of Herod's the great son. So we're entering into the Christmas season And Herod, when he passes, so if you remember the story of Christmas, the wise men come, they speak to Herod. Herod says, tell me who this is that you're going to visit. Come back and let me know where I can worship him. Of course, it was a bit of a trick and the wise men knew it. And so they went and departed another way. But Herod the Great, he wants to kill Jesus because he's been promised to come as the next ruler. But now, so because of this, Joseph and Mary, they flee and they go to Egypt. And then the angel comes and speaks to Joseph and says, look, those who are pursuing him, Herod the Great, they are dead, so go back to the land of Israel. So when he comes back in, what Herod does after he passes is he passes on the country, breaks it up into three different segments to his three sons that he's left behind. And this is what we have here. So in the red, this goes to Archelaus. This was the the land of Jerusalem. So when we find in the, the Christmas story as Joseph is coming back into the land, he doesn't go to Jerusalem because Archelaus is there and he's afraid of what Archelaus will do. So then he actually goes up to the Nazareth another one of Herod's sons, but obviously not someone he was as concerned about. So Herod Antipas is governing the rule, uh, the part in the purple, and Herod Philip is governing the part in the brown. So Herod the Great breaks up his, uh, basically his, his gro- governing authority into three different places, Herod Archelaus, Antipas, and Philip. And the reason John the Baptist gets put in prison is because Herod, or John the Baptizer, he's preaching against Herod, because Herod Antipas, the one in the purple, he marries Philip's wife. And so he's talking about all these things. He's preaching against Herod Antipas. This is what we find in Luke chapter 3. It says, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. So basically, Herod Antipas, who's ruling in the Galilee area, he doesn't like the message that John the baptizer is preaching, so he locks him up in prison. This is where we find ourselves in today's story. But what's interesting, if you think about last week in the geography, so here's a map to point us there. Go to the next slide. Over here to the right. Remember, he, Jesus, in the, the message we just preached last week, he heals the young man in Nain. He raises him from the dead. And now we find ourselves in this passage here. John is likely in prison in Tiberias. Can you see that over by the fish? Everybody see the fish? It's on the water, by the way. That's where you find fish. So it's over by the fish, Tiberius. What we have here are the ruins of uh, what was the amphitheater in Tiberius. Um, Later, we're going to find that John is beheaded after, you know, uh, Herod is entertaining some guests. That likely happened over in this area. So this is where we're finding ourselves. Jesus is healing people in Nain. He's, He's ministering all throughout the Galilee. John sits in prison here in Tiberius, and now he begins to wonder, and he asks the question, is Jesus the one the world has been waiting for? So I want to catch you up to where we find ourselves in the context of today's story. And what we find in this passage, as it relates to knowing Jesus, the first point is this, is that you can know Jesus by accepting Him for who He is. You can know Jesus by accepting Him for who He is. In first century Judaism, there were three sects or main divisions of Judaism. Pharisees and Sadducees. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you've read a lot about those guys. But there was also a third one called the Essenes. If you went with us to Israel in June, then you got to hear a bit more about them. And the Essene community were an interesting community. They formed close-knit communities. They avoided luxury. They avoided marriage and riches. And they exercised remarkable self-control in every way. And now because the Essene believers did not marry, the only way that their community could grow was through adoption. And so one of the things we know about the Essene community is that they adopted kids. They adopted orphans. And because we know Zachariah and Elizabeth were advanced in years, it is likely that John could have been an orphan at some point in his life. And not far from where John is growing up in Judea, there was an Essene community living at a place called Qumran. I want to show you some pictures of there. So this is Qumran. Two things I want to point out. Number one, it was right by the Dead Sea. Second thing is, is, this is some of the caves that were there. I'm going to talk about those in a minute. And then the other thing here, this is actually what's called a mikvah on the lower right-hand corner. So the Essene community was big into baptism. What do we know about John? Does he baptize people? Absolutely. So one of the thoughts is, is that he learned his rituals of water baptism through the Essene community. So you can find these mikvah, several mikvah, here at the Qumran community. And one of the other things that we know is in 1948, there was a Bedouin shepherd boy who was herding his sheep around this Qumran community area. And some stubborn sheep were up in a cave they weren't leaving, so he threw some rocks into a cave to get them out, heard something break, and so when he went in to explore the cave, he found these clay jars. Inside those clay jars were scrolls. They have become known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Anybody heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Yeah, it basically takes scripture, and it helped us have a better understanding of the way that scripture has moved through the ages. So he breaks these jars, they become the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, and they were found in this area. They seen community, what they were doing is they were scribes. They were copying scripture, 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 and they were putting them all away. But one of the other things we know about these scriptures is they also had other writings, writings we would not consider scripture. So if we could go to that slide, I want to read you one of the writings that we found there. So this is 1QS. How many know there's not a 1QS in your Bible? Anybody aware of that? Okay. So this is 1QS. Qumran scroll 1 3 through 11 so they number them just so that scholars can study them and here's what it says so this starts to speak into the theology of the Qumran community the Essenes it says he is to teach to them both to love all the sons of light each commensurate with his rightful place in the counsel of God and to hate all the sons of darkness each commensurate with his guilt and the vengeance due him from God okay so this is interesting theology This is really important for us to understand as you look at this passage and what John is asking of Jesus. We know that in the Essene community, there were sons of light and there were sons of darkness. This is a theology. Okay, next picture here. This is at the Israel Museum. If you were to go visit and see the Dead Sea Scrolls in Jerusalem, this is where you'd find them. There's two things happening here. Basically, where the water is, that white structure was made to mimic what the top of those clay jars look like where the scrolls were kept in. So you actually go down below into that space, and that's where you can look at the Dead Sea Scrolls today. But the other piece there, that black piece, what they're doing is they're helping to display through art what was the theology of the Essene community, that there were sons of light and sons of darkness. Now, I do want to ask you, uh, as we look at the sons of light and sons of darkness, what they believed is that the sons of light would rise up and they would defeat the sons of darkness. Now, that's a lot of explanation to help us get to the point that we're at here. If I were to ask you, Herod Antipas, do you think John the baptizer, would he consider him a son of light or a son of darkness? Son of darkness, he was preaching against him. John the baptizer, would he consider himself a son of light or a son of darkness? Son of light. And what's he waiting for? What's he waiting for? He's waiting for the sons of light to rise up against the sons of darkness. So here you are, you're John, you're sitting in prison, and you're wondering when you're going to be liberated by Jesus to defeat Herod and all the other sons of darkness. And this is the context of our passage. Now I want to jump back to Luke chapter 3 for a moment. We were already there this spring, but now with this understanding, let's look at what John says to the crowd that's coming out to be baptized by him. Here's what he says in Luke chapter 3, verse 7. He says, He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come. Here's a translation. You sons of darkness who warned you to flee from the battle to come. This is part of the theology of John the Baptist. Many scholars believe that he was affected by the Essene community, and I really believe that as well. When you look at his theology, when you look at his practice, it seems like it was shaped in large part by the Essene community. And what I can appreciate about John is this statement as he says, can you go ask Jesus if he's the one to come? It makes him very human. And it's very easy for us to expect things of Jesus. And and John was doing this. He expected Jesus to show up in a particular way, in a particular manner, and to do particular things. We can expect Jesus to do certain things. We have certain thoughts about who he is, but then we realize, and this is for all of us, we have to come to the realization that Jesus is the Son of God, and he has his own agenda. This is a really important part. This is huge for this passage this morning. We must get this point today, and it's this. We must take Jesus for who he is, not for how we'd have him be. We have to take Jesus for who he is, not for who we want him to be. John expected Jesus to rise up, to gather the sons of light, and to defeat the sons of darkness. John had one idea of what that was going to look like. And now make no mistake, Jesus did come to defeat darkness. Jesus does defeat sin, death, and the devil, but it looks very different than what John was expecting. It came by him laying down his life, suffering, dying on a cross, and raising again three days later. Jesus defeats darkness, but in ways that we don't anticipate, in ways that really don't make sense to us. Now, what I want to look at is what Jesus says to John's disciples. Here's what he says. When you look at the scripture, he says, in typical Jesus fashion, of course, he's going to quote scripture. He says, here's go and tell John. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. So what Jesus is doing is he's telling John's disciples, go and tell John, this is what I'm doing. And he quotes from Isaiah 61, 35, and 26. He's pulling out scripture, and he says, this is what I'm doing and what's interesting is when you look at Isaiah 61, it's not exactly what Jesus quotes. And he did this in Luke chapter 4, a message I preached earlier this year on the mission of Jesus. Jesus is talking about the mission he came to, to save, that he came to do. And he leaves out a very important part of Isaiah 61, and he does the same thing here in this passage. Here's Isaiah 61. Here's what we have. Jesus, um, and when he's reading the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue in Nazareth, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And here's the line. This is the line that John's waiting for in the day of vengeance of our God. Does Jesus quote that line when he tells John's disciples what to go back and do? No. In fact, he adds a line. Instead, what's the line that he adds? blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Blessed is the one who's not offended by the fact that I came in a gracious manner, that I came to save. And I'll make no mistake, what we find in scripture is we find that Jesus will come back again one day. If you're reading through the devotional, The Live Dead Joy, it talks about that this morning. Jesus will come again for the final defeat of evil, but what John, what Jesus is saying to John here is, he says, John, I've come in a gracious manner. I've come to save. I've come to first suffer and die and rise again. And that's how we're going to see this thing happen. That's how we're going to ultimately defeat evil. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time as we look at, you know, our, our human inclination toward vengeance. That's what John is waiting for. John is hoping for vengeance. He's sitting in prison. He's got a really bad day. I mean, he's, he's waiting for what's ultimately going to be a death sentence. And he wants Jesus to show up and liberate him, but Jesus says, that's not what I came for. I came in a different manner. But what I do want to look at this morning is I want us to understand and maybe ask you some self-examination questions. The first is this. Has you accept, have you accepted Jesus for who he is? Or have you come to Jesus with your own agenda? Have you come to Jesus with your own motives? Have you tried to make Jesus as you would have him be instead of accepting him for who he is? How do you know Jesus? And if you don't know who Jesus is, I'd like to describe him for you today. I shared some of these thoughts last spring when we were walking through a message on life together. And as I was working through this message, God was bringing that back to my heart and said, tell him again, tell him who I am. Because you see, I'm passionate about a high view of Jesus. We must not reduce Jesus to a creation of our own. We can't allow Jesus to be the spineless Jesus of secular humanism. We can be dismayed by the Santa Claus Jesus of the prosperity gospel. We need to repent of the genie Jesus that we bottle up in a lamp to grant our wishes. Rather than all of these distortions, we should fall on our faces before the great I am. The Jesus who is the image of the invisible God. The Jesus who is the firstborn of all creation. The Jesus who created all things visible and invisible. The Jesus who is above all thrones, dominions, and powers. The Jesus in whom all things consist. The Jesus who is the head of the body first born from the dead. The Jesus in whom all things has preeminence. This is the Jesus we preach. It's him we love and it's him that we worship. The Jesus who is gentle and great. The Jesus who is just and merciful. The Jesus who is awesome and safe. The Jesus who is approachable but who dwells in unapproachable light the Jesus who came as a vulnerable baby and will come again as a vanquishing king, savior, healer, baptizer, soon coming king, first and last, truth, life, and door, shepherd, way, peace, advocate, judge, master. As we talk about knowing Jesus, let's love to be with him. Let's love to abide. Let's love to be in his presence. Let's love to linger and pour out our praise and worship to him as we sing. Let's love to constantly commune with him. Let's love to get up early and give him our best. Let's love to sing his praises and tell of his great worth. Let's love to praise and magnify and exalt and make much of Jesus. Let's love to talk about Jesus in intimate terms. Let's love to declare our worship, devotion and dependence on him. Let's talk about Jesus so much, our colleagues and our family don't know anything else about us except that we love him. Let's always be talking about him, singing about Jesus, always be talking with one another about Jesus. His name be sweet on our lips. His presence precious to our family. Why are we sometimes embarrassed to talk about Jesus, even with one another? My hope and longing is that our church family is so in love with Jesus that we can't help but talk about him all the time. Let Jesus be a part of every conversation. Let's love him and not be ashamed of it. Let's cherish Jesus. Since when did we become too cool, too tough, too balanced, too self sufficient to be talking about Jesus? Let's talk to our kids about Jesus. Let our neighbors and work colleagues hear our constant adoration and veneration of him. Let us hear each other praise, thank, and worship and magnify Jesus. Let Jesus be the mark of our church culture. May we have an unadulterated, passionate, and increasing love for him. May our love be inescapable to critic and confidant alike. Let, let's be a family radically in love with Jesus. Jesus at the center of our family, the center of every family conversation. Jesus demonstratedly be the treasure of this family. Jesus, our all, our center, our love, our hope, and our joy. Jesus, ever in our hearts, always on our lips, eternally on our eyes. Simplicity of having just Jesus. Uh, I was made fun of a little bit this week because I walk the halls of this church uh, and I sing hymns because that's what I know. On Christ the solid rock I stand. And what's the line? All All other ground is sinking sand. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. That's our Jesus. By the way, those are the songs my kids know too. That's what we sing them to sleep with. I don't know any other songs. Is Jesus the center? Is he the one that when you're walking in the halls of your workplace that you're singing about? If you need some songs, go talk to Greg and Gina. They'll teach them to you. And as we love Jesus, let's love to be like him. I love the scripture in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. What sweet wonder... The more that we're with Jesus, the more like him we become. And the more like him we become, the better we we represent him to the world. And the better we represent Jesus to the world, the bigger his family will grow. So let's accept Jesus for who he is. Let's not approach him with our own expectations, but let's approach Jesus simply as Jesus. And we walk through hard times. Let's trust the sovereignty of God. Think about John. He's sitting in prison, and he begins to doubt, to say, I don't know if Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. We know hardship is gonna come, and when it comes, trust God, trust Jesus for who he is and understand that he has his own way of working things out. So when we encounter a job loss or transition, when a child walks away from God, when you experience problems with your health, let us continue to put our faith, hope, and trust in the King of Kings. Let's get to know Jesus for Jesus. You can know Jesus by accepting him for who he is. The second point this morning is this, is that you can know Jesus by reading, praying, and sharing. You can know Jesus by reading, praying, and sharing. Good news is the first point was basically the whole message. So last two points are like two minutes long. (laughs) Because it's all about expecting and knowing who Jesus is for who he is. So the way that you know him is three things, reading, praying, and sharing. Say those three things, reading, praying, and sharing. You do those three things and you're gonna know who Jesus is. The first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they talk about who Jesus is. Very simple way for you to know who Jesus is is read a chapter a day out of the Gospels. You can start in Matthew, go to Mark and Luke and John. So all that means is tomorrow morning when you wake up, start in Matthew chapter one, read that chapter. Next day, read chapter two. And once you work your way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go back to the beginning, start over again. Keep reading Jesus. If you're going through the live dead joy, you're already reading through Jesus. So you can get to know Jesus by reading. Second thing is, is you can get to know Jesus by abiding. Jesus says in John 15:4, abide in me and I in you. I was talking with the pastors about this message this past week. They really gave me a hard time. They said, you know, we should ask somebody, like if you've never heard the word abide in this church, we want you to raise your hand. We got a special prize for you. <laughs> but I thought that'd be mocking people. So I don't think that's what we should be doing in the church. But here's what I'm talking about. If you abide in Jesus, the promise is that he will abide in you. As you take time to read the gospels, as you take time to pray, Jesus, the promise is that he's gonna abide in you. So you can get to know Jesus by reading the gospels and by praying, and the last one is by sharing. Here's what we find in Philemon 1.6. Be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. So if you want to have a good understanding of every good thing we have in Christ, we need to share our faith. Second thing is in Matthew 28, same concept, different verse, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And here's the promise, you can be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When is Jesus with us? Always. And as we go, so as we go and share our faith, and here's the very practical. You're sharing your faith. You're sharing the story of Jesus. Somebody asks you a question. You don't have the answer. What does that force you to do? You got to go look it up. So you're going to grow in your understanding of the Lord just by the nature of you get asked questions, and now you need to have some answers so you can get to know Jesus by reading, by praying, and by sharing, and of course, by accepting him for who he is. But the last thing I want to cover this morning is this one question of why. Why do you want to know who Jesus is? Because maybe it's great, okay, this is how I know Jesus, but that doesn't really make a difference to me because I don't really feel like I need to. But I want to give you three reasons this morning why you need to know who Jesus is. And the first is this. To know God, you must know Jesus. Here's what Jesus says in John 14:6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you want a relationship with God, the doorway, the entry point is Jesus, the Son of God. So you want to know Jesus so that you can have a relationship with God. Second reason is, is that you can be set free, that you can experience freedom in Jesus. Paul, uh, a New Testament believer in Christ, he wrote several books of the New Testament, and here's what he writes in, in 2 Corinthians 3.16. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit is, there is Freedom. So the second reason you want to know who Jesus is is because in him, veils are removed and you experience the freedom that can only be found in him. And the last reason I'll give you this morning is this, that the reason you want to know who Jesus is is because he gives you purpose and meaning in this life and the promise of eternal life in him. Two scriptures to point you that direction. John 10:10. 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus promises purpose and meaning in this life. And the second thing is in John 11:25, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. We're promised eternity with Jesus. So why do you want to know Jesus? Because you can have purpose and meaning in this life. You're promised eternal life hereafter. You can be set free in Jesus' name that you can have an entry point, a relationship with God. But to know Jesus, you can read the Gospels, you can spend time in prayer, and you can share your faith so that you can get to know him. How would your life look different if you had real knowledge and a relationship with Jesus, the Son of God? As you begin to read a chapter a day from the Gospels, as you spend time in prayer, as you begin to share the story of Jesus, Jesus will make himself known to you in ways that you've never experienced before. Jesus came to lead you into extraordinary living, but to experience it, you have to have a hunger and thirst to know him more. What I want to do is invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And as you're standing, I'd like to ask, maybe you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is. You don't really have a growing knowledge of him, but you realize you really are not promised eternity. You're you're lacking purpose and meaning in this life. And I'd say that's because you don't have that relationship with Jesus. But maybe you're at a place today to say, but I want that to be different. I want the promise of eternity with him. I want the promise of purpose and meaning in this life. I wanna have a relationship with God. So if every head bowed in this room this morning, if that's you today and you say, I need that decision to follow Jesus, I would like to get to know him so I can have that entry point into relationship with him. If that's you today, just simply raise your hand I wanna pray with you before we go today. I don't want you to walk out of this room not knowing who Jesus is. No greater thing to be thankful for than God sending his son Jesus so that we can have life eternal so that we can have purpose and meaning in this life, that we can be reconnected with our creator. Anybody here today that say, I want to follow Jesus, simply raise your hand and I'll pray with you before we go from this place today. Anybody in the balcony? Anybody would say, I want to make that decision to follow God today. Over here on the left, anybody else? Anybody else would say, I want to make that decision to follow Jesus. I want to know him as the son of God. I want to have that relationship with him. pray with you today oh god i just pray that you would continue to speak to hearts today that maybe there are many in this room they've maybe known you through the bible but really haven't known you in their heart but i pray god that people would have heart knowledge of you today That they would experience you for all that you are and know you as jesus the son of god the king of kings the lord of lords the one who promises eternal life God, I pray for the person that raised their hand here today and maybe others that that have a a desire to follow you. I just pray that they would commit their lives to you. They'd have a heart to follow you with everything that they are. And so, Lord, we just pray that you help them to find strength from day to day to follow you. We know, Lord, as they make that decision, the enemy will come against it because his desire is to steal and kill and destroy that love for you. So God, I pray protection over this person today and then the others in this room that have made that decision to follow you, I just pray, Lord, that they would journey with Jesus for a lifetime. We commit this time to you, God, and ask that you would help us to live in full knowledge of you today. Let us not approach you for what we desire, but Lord, may we approach you for simply knowledge of who you are, nothing more. And know that that's more than enough. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Gina, if I could have you come this morning, Pastor Mark is absent today. I think she's already tracking down the person. If you raised your hand and made that decision, one of our prayer team members is going to come find you and simply just to get together with you, to pray with you, to give you a Bible and information on where you go from here. We don't ever want somebody to make that decision alone and feel like they're in that by themselves. This is what the body of Christ is for, because we want to get together with you. Can we just thank God for that person who made a decision this morning?